how can you be truly present in your relationship in a way that helps you find aliveness and joy no matter what's going on in the moment? And how can you make sure you're being fully present and yourself instead of trying to be what someone else wants you to be in an effort to connect or to please them? That's what we're going to cover in this week's episode. But first, I want to take a moment to thank the lovely listeners who have recently contributed to the podcast over this past week. Anne, Linda, and Ben, thank you all so much for your generous contributions to ensure that we can keep the lights on here at Relationship Alive headquarters. And if you are finding the podcast to be helpful and would like to donate, just visit neilsatin.com support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions to choose something that feels right for you. Also, if you haven't downloaded it yet, be sure to pick up my free guide to my top three relationship communication secrets. When it comes to staying present and communicating effectively, these three tips will help you stay connected no matter how challenging the topic you're discussing with your partner. And as I mentioned, the guide is free. To download your copy, just visit neilsatin.com relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions to download the guide. Finally, before we dive into today's episode, if you're looking for support in your relationship and you happen to be on Facebook, come join the Relationship Alive community, where there are more than 2,400 listeners gathered to create a safe space for conversation about relationship. And you can also follow the Relationship Alive official account on Instagram, where we're just getting started, but it would be great to see you there. I think that's it for now, so let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. In today's episode, I want you to learn some simple yet unexpected ways to not only learn how to be present, but also to find the well-being that's within you at any given moment. And also to learn how to bring this sense into how you interact with other people, especially your partner. Today's guest is Julie Henderson, the creator of Zapchen Somatics and the author of the books The Lover Within and Embodying Well-Being, among other books that she's written. Her work is profound and powerful in its simplicity, and I've been really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. It actually took a little while to even locate Julie and our official conversation happened after a few months of chatting and going back and forth to figure out how we wanted to approach the material. This is the challenge with many of my guests, right? It's how do you sum up a lifetime of work in an hour-long conversation? Well, short version is you can't, but I think what we have for you today is special and a rare glimpse into the practices of a teacher who, as you hear, or as you will hear today, has influenced thousands of people through her work. 
If you are interested in downloading a transcript, you can visit neilsatin.com slash Julie, J-U-L-I-E, or simply text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And thank you so much, Julie Henderson, for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Where shall we start? Most people don't know how to be present. So they don't know how to be present in relationship to someone else. So they they make something up. They make it they make a some kind of a a guess and then they they do that and see if it if it has the effect that they want. Uh, most people uh, are not encouraged to learn how to to do that. That's that's central to everything. So, I would say, notice, well, notice that you are. That might be a surprise to a lot of people, in fact, to just just to do that, but it's a, it's a huge step for most people to notice that they are. And to just to experience how, how they are when they are noticing that they are. <laughs> this kind of <laughs> Strange, strange uh, way of talking about things, but it's mo- almost everybody is born knowing how to be, but they are often uh, taught from an early age not not to be because it bothers their parents. Yeah. So. When we are being frequently, we are loud. Uh, if we're kids, uh huh, yeah. yeah. So you were going to say? Well, that was the exact thing. I was I was going to hopefully get you to point out what are these ways of being that come naturally or innately that we would be conditioned not to do. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. Well, it, it varies from person to person, don't you see? There are, it almost always involves, uh, when, we're, when we're young, it almost always involves spontaneous movement, spontaneous uh, noise, really, because often we are being noisy before we know how to talk. And so when when we are both noisy and active, uh, dancing around or, or, yeah, dancing around often, y- young people like to, to, to ex- experience being by moving. And um, lots of times parents don't like that because it's, it just it parents are tired parents don't know how to be themselves anymore because they have to go to work and stuff like that uh so they they encourage their children not to be loud not to be moving not to be uh, having a good time being that's that's the main difficulty i would say we are taught not not to be, 
not to be present, certainly. What is, what is it? I'm trying to think how I would say. What do we mean, present? Uh, noticing uh, in various ways what it feels like to be present, what it feels like to notice that we actually are. I don't know, maybe it's an old, that old sounds a little bit, who cares, but uh, I find it absolutely necessary. And it's not, it's not so hard, except that when we, have, when we are grown-ups, we have often spent a lot of time learning uh, not to be present, not to notice that we are really uh, this, this being of presence. And uh, so... Yeah, there are some things that are clicking into place for me. Um, mm-hmm. for instance, yeah, when we're, when we're young, let's say before we're even verbal, we have a very mm-hmm. limited ways of communicating with our parents. And if I think about my experience of being a parent, I, mm-hmm. I was recognizing a lot of what, what seems like discomfort and, and unease in my children and trying to address it in a way that, that hopefully brings peace and happiness to them. Um, mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm hearing or what's clicking into place is that through that process, there's inadvertently, really, what happens is the ways that our our organism innately wants to communicate and express and and just kind of deal with being, a body being <laughs> existing in this in this realm, um, that that um, that we might become either alienated from those ways, or like you were just saying, told that we can't do those things, we can't express, can't make noise, can't be unruly, can't jump around. I mean, this is common, I think, for for a lot of us to go very, through that experience. Very, very common. Very common. And so then we find ourselves as adults trying to make sense of the world and trying to make sense of our relationships. And, but at that point, there's a communication system, the communication that emerges from within us. And in many ways, it's, we're alienated from that. We're alienated from mm-hmm. the messaging that, that comes from within that tells us about how we are. Yep. We have learned, uh, to ignore what's actually true and to come up with something that's acceptable or we have been taught as acceptable. And then we try to bring that into relationship with people that we find attractive. Right. No wonder it gets confusing. No wonder it gets very cranky. <laughs> we try so hard to get it right so that that person will love us and uh, by and large it really doesn't work right or it works for a little while and then it starts Mm -hmm. to get confused or there's all this tension and and bumps that that happen yep yeah i think eventually um there's there's a a um, 
what a, a resentment that arises in us spontaneously because we are not being who we are. Mm. And we may not even recognize it that that is what is going on, but that we are trying to be what somebody else wants us to be and that that's, a, that's uncomfortable. Right, and I, I'm getting the sense that when you talk about being who we are, in some respects, you're not talking about being, like being who we are as an expression of like your your preferences or your um, yeah your likes and dislikes are it's it's some, something on a deeper level than that. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, one of the things that I have found people take to given given the invitation and the possibility of. Uh, trying it out is to uh, to say, I say when, when you say I where's that voice coming from in you as a body is it coming out of your head is it coming out of your chest is it coming out of your belly and I just invite people to to notice where where that eye that, that they are talking about is located. And very often, very often, especially with Westerners, it's uh, in their head. So then I would say, okay, well, uh, if, if you were to move that voice into your heart, would you say the same thing that you just said when you were being in your, in your head? in your brain and often often they're just really startled that the rest of them starting with with the heart in this in this particular instance is not uh, feeling or responding to being uh, the same as we have been taught to do by being located in our in our head Especially if we went to school a lot, right? There's a lot of a lot of head instruction when you're when you're in school. Yep, yep. I remember for myself when I first went to uh, I was a, at Cal as a as a uh, freshman. You sorry, University of California, Berkeley, uh, and. I was sitting in a in a classroom and suddenly I was noticing that it was not it was not my head that was engaged here it was my my uh well my whole body ideally speaking but I didn't didn't get that far that 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 suddenly but just noticing that I could be more of myself, so to speak, and that that was very attractive. And was there something particular about that class that created that experience for you, or? I think it was an English class, but I, you know, I don't, I don't remember, because what, what was, uh, what studied stayed with me 
was that recognition. Mm. And that whatever we were talking about in the class was not it. Was not the the relevant recognition. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first let me just say that I find mm. your work, at least to the extent that I've been exposed to it so far, to be um, both fascinating and comforting and it's just for me like such a curious blend of um of all these different practices and techniques and ways at looking at uh, ways of looking at experience that even in just my like simple introduction to your work that they've made an impact and in particular i'm that's thinking nice. may i say that's very nice to hear yeah yeah, of course. And um, in particular, I'm thinking right now about um, one of the first conversations that we had. And and just to give you listening uh, a little background, um, my introduction to Julie was through her book, The Lover Within, um, which had been given to me by a friend and reached out in a number of different ways to try and, and connect with you, Julie. And then when we finally connected and started talking about your work, um, you were like, oh, there's been so much since then. And let me send you a mm -hmm. few things. And, and you sent me, among other books, which we'll, we'll get to in a little while, um, you sent The Hum Book. And that was where mm -hmm. I started, actually, was by reading your book about humming, and and in that in the time since then, I've used humming as a way of bringing myself back to presence um, a lot. Actually, I'm curious if you Works can. A treat. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about um, the practice of humming, and also, yeah, why? What what is what is it about humming that's so restorative in your in your opinion? Well, there are 75 different ways of answering that. Uh, <laughs> one, of the, one of the ways would be to say, when we hum, we are touching our whole body. If we are, you know, if we are relaxed enough to, to let the hum go through the whole body, which most people aren't to begin with, but eventually. When we are touching our whole body from the inside. And what, what drives me wild with joy, just to think about it and to talk about it, is that we are touching, we are touching the cellular presence of being a body. And offering it nourishment, because of the oxygen that goes with the hum and the the in, the encouragement to be a body that goes with that kind of inner uh, inner contact with ourselves and it's very relaxing for one thing i'm sure you've noticed that oh yeah but it is, it is, yeah. And when Go you ahead. when you talk about how it, how you're actually touching 
the cellular structures within you. Um, I just mm-hmm. want to give the people listening a sense of, of what you're talking about. As a, as a visual, you describe um, someone, I think, bowing a violin and in the presence of uh, a, a pane of glass with a bunch of sand sprinkled on the glass. And that mm-hmm. by making the sound, everything on the glass dances. And then when the mm-hmm. sound stops, it, it comes to rest in a, in a coherent pattern that comes from yeah. the vibration. And so through, mm-hmm. through humming, we get to send this uh, coherent pattern through our entire body and, yes. and, and experience that, uh, the results of that resonance. Um, how long should someone hum for to experience that, do you think? How long do they want to hum? <laughs> I love it. And is there a quality of the hum that you... So when people are like, well, I, I've hummed before. I, I don't think I've experienced what they're talking about. How, how, do we, how do you get at that particular kind of humming that has such a deep effect? I would say be the hum. Mostly... If somebody says, well, I hummed and nothing happened, something like that, it's because they weren't there. They weren't there as the hum, for the hum, following the hum. Uh, so, of course, it didn't have the same effect. Mm. I think a lot of times it just doesn't occur to somebody to be present in the hum and as the hum, and you can you can go. Well, I tell you, the first time I've had the good sense to do this that I'm about to say, it was just stunning to me that I I could I could, for example, I could hum in my chest, and then the hum. I if I relaxed a little bit and changed the location of my attention. If I would take my attention into my belly then, for example, then the hum would automatically go there and down my legs and into my feet and toes and so forth. Wherever I place my attention, that is where the hum will go. And uh, feel good. Feel good. So one of the things that happens is that if you are if you are humming into your chest for example where in your chest uh if if you have uh learned about the mediastinum by studying this or that then if you if you hum into the mediastinum the, the, the uh, tissues there, which we often, uh, when, 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 for example, we feel unloved, if we, if we notice that the, the, the uh, tissues in the mediastinum, if they are contracted, automatically we will be feeling unloved. Because uh, that is a way we have of protecting ourselves from 
being alone or uh, feeling like everything is too hard or whatever our, our practices of that sort are. If we locate the mediastinum, that, that wonderful, wonderful set of, excuse me, set of um, tissues that surround and support the heart and, uh, and a lot of the, uh, the, A lot of the the feelings that we have about about how we are arise in the in the the cells that surround that that fill the mediastinum and surround and support the heart. That's that's a wonderful thing to do. Mm. Really wonderful. Yeah, I'm reminded of how at the the very beginning of your book Embodying Well-Being mm-hmm. there's a, there's a forward from Paul Ekman and mm-hmm. some of you listening may know of Paul Ekman because he he studied micro expressions in the face and um and your ability to tell what someone is really feeling or thinking by studying their micro expressions and then he he further yeah. went on to talk about how you could if you could reproduce those expressions in the face you could create emotions and mm-hmm. and then I, i'm just to give everyone the background here cuz i found this so fascinating um julie ended up being in contact with him and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Julie, but he studied you in in his lab and was amazed that not only were you able to create different emotional states um, at seemingly at will, but also you weren't bound by having to change your facial expression or um, the way you were breathing. There was something you were doing that was allowing you to experience joy and rage and sadness and all of these things just through how you were well you tell me because i'm so fascinated and curious to know what <laughs> what, what because were you doing? my body knows how to do that yes great great as i am a body i already know how to do that and if you if you look at that that very first part of embodying well-being where the basic, basic, basic exercises are. Those are things that kids do spontaneously. And if they are not suppressed from doing them, they will grow up with that capacity inherent in themselves as being a body. And they will, you know, they will be able to do what I can do. Julie, we're going to take just a moment to talk about this week's sponsors. And two of them have a special offer for you as a Relationship Alive listener. Our first sponsor is Songfinch. When Chloe and I celebrated our first anniversary back in July, I wanted to do something really special for her. At about that time, I heard about this company called Songfinch that creates custom songs made to order for special occasions in your life. So I gave them a try to see if they could create a song 
that felt like it was special enough to be my gift to Chloe for our wedding anniversary. Since Songfinch is one of today's sponsors, then you know that it was an experiment that went well. The way it works is that you tell them what the occasion is, what emotions you'd like your songs to evoke, what genre of music you'd like, and then you tell them a little bit about your story. And their songs aim to bring your story to life. Here's an example. I told them about how Chloe and I met in a dance class and how at one point when we had broken up, we had this dance together in front of everyone else in the class. Afterwards, several of our friends were like, what are you doing breaking up? You guys are obviously so good together. And this is just one example of something that I told Songfinch. And the song that they came back with was amazing. I'll play you the rest of the song at the end of the episode so you can hear the whole thing. All I can say is I'm really impressed. Their songwriter did an amazing job weaving together so many important details into something that made us smile, laugh, and cry together on anniversary day. And Chloe has a very refined taste in music, so it was so cool to see her light up like that. They also make it easy for you to create a slideshow to go with your song, which I put some time into as well. All this is to say that I think that a Songfinch song would be a really inspired gift, perhaps this holiday season, to someone special in your life. So check them out at songfinch.com so you can hear what they do. They offer songs starting at $99, and if you choose to do a song from scratch, as a Relationship Alive listener, they are giving you $20 off if you use the coupon code ALIVE20. Visit songfinch.com and use the coupon code ALIVE20 for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. And thank you, Songfinch, for sponsoring this week's episode of Relationship Alive. Our second sponsor is great at doing what they do, and they are also offering something special just for you if you wear contact lenses, like I do. Their name is simplecontacts.com, and they are offering $20 off your first order with them if you visit simplecontacts.com slash alive20, or use the coupon code ALIVE20 when you check out. Now, simplecontacts.com has made it really easy to not only get your supply of contact lenses, they carry all major brands, 
but also to get your prescription renewed if you need to do that. They've created a vision test that you can take in the comfort of your own home in less than five minutes. And it only costs $20 compared to whatever a visit to the eye doctor would cost you. Now it's not meant to replace a full eye health exam, but it is a way to get a doctor approved prescription renewal without having to leave the comfort of your own home. Standard shipping is free, and on top of that, they have stellar customer service. As an example, I actually have a somewhat rare condition that keeps me from being able to turn my eyes. It's called Duane's Retraction Syndrome, if you're curious and wanna look it up. And part of the quick and easy vision test that they have requires that you turn your eyes left and right. Simple enough, right? But I can't do it. In any case, I took the test the best that I could, placed my order, and then waited to see what would happen. If they would notice, or, or what? Sure enough, I got a text right away from their customer support people, who were super personable, and they told me that I needed to retake the turning your eyes portion of the test. I explained my situation to them, and then after a quick consultation with their doctors, they told me I was all set, and it was as easy as that. So I use contacts when I dance or go to the beach, and I'm really excited to have a reliable source when my supply is running low. So the whole process with simplecontacts.com for me was really easy, fast, and I'm delighted to be able to offer you $20 off your first order to try them out. All you have to do is visit simplecontacts.com slash alive20 or use the coupon code ALIVE20 at checkout to get your discount. And thank you, Simple Contacts, for also helping make Relationship Alive possible. This week's third and final sponsor is James Avery Artisan Jewelry. Gifts from James Avery help you tell your story, one that you and your loved one will remember for years to come. You'll get to see your partner smile when they open the James Avery Coral Box and you'll be able to share that memory every time they wear that special something that you got for them. James Avery also sources their gemstones responsibly, something that's especially important to me and Chloe as we make choices about jewelry. In a conversation about embodying well-being, it only makes sense to talk about smiles. Some smiles are wide and full of warmth, some smiles reach all the way up to the eyes, and some are so bright that they light up the entire room. And every smile, of course, tells a story about the gift, about you, and about the one that you love. This holiday season, you have some smiles to look forward to. You can find James Avery Artisan Jewelry in their shops, in many Dillard's stores and online at jamesavery.com. And thank you so much, James Avery, for supporting smiles and relationships by sponsoring this episode of Relationship Alive. And now let us get back to our conversation with Julie Henderson. So let's just talk for a moment about what it means to embody well-being because we're t we've we've brought up presence we've talked about embodying and and I'd like to converge that into like what the heck are we actually talking about embodied presence mm -hmm. what is what does that mean you want to talk about embodied presence or embodied well-being mm. or they are not quite the same <laughs> 
they go together, but it's it, it will be helpful if we ch- choose one to Wh- begin with. Where's a good place to start? Well, which whichever one for whoever is wanting to try it out, whichever one is easy for you. For example, uh, for me, it was easy uh, because both of my parents were actors, and they were, you know, they would be preparing for roles, and they would be feeling various feelings and stuff. So it was not not a, an uh, uncommon experience for me, and I could try things out. It, I was not suppressed for do, from doing that. Um, let's see. It's it all seems so so straightforward to me at the moment. Um, yeah, either way, well-being or presence uh, doesn't matter. You start by bringing your attention into your body as sensation. And let yourself take in the qualities of those sensations. And that will tell you what you are at that time uh, inclined to feel. So if, you, if then you want to feel uh, well-being, which is a very nice thing to do, you just... It's sort of like uh, tweaking. What does your what do you want to invite yourself as a body to do so that well-being arises? That would be the that would be the question from a grown-up point of view. And if you are if you have access to what it has been like for you to be a kid, a child, it's um, it's very easy if you have permission. Uh, from your experience, to <laughs> to uh, to laugh and as I just you know to to think of something that attracts you that you like that you that you are glad that you know about and let your body and let your body sense into those sensations and. Yeah, just just enjoy them. Just enjoy them. When I think about being in in relationship and how much mm-hmm. energy goes into trying to solve problems, mm-hmm. then what occurs to me is that the first thing that has to happen in order for you to be trying to solve a problem is you have to imagine that there is a problem and that sense of there being a problem is probably coming from some sense of discomfort within you. And one of the lovely other insights that your book Embodying Wellbeing starts with is this idea that you don't have to wait to fix the problem if there even is a problem to feel good to embody well-being yeah. and yeah. and i am i'm imagining 
because I haven't fully experienced this yet, honestly, but I'm imagining what it could be like for people in relationship to be to be so aware that they say, okay, there's a problem right now. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to hum and then maybe I'm going to laugh and uh, yawn or jiggle my body and I'm just kind of cherry picking a few of the techniques that you mentioned at the beginning of embodying well-being mm -hmm. and and I'm going to see what that does to my state of being and the way that I feel before we even try to solve anything. Yep. And it's such a profound degree of of um well, it's funny. I was about to say control, but that that word control feels so like not the right Try word. Try choice. Yeah, there. Try perfect. Try choice. Yeah. So the ability to choose what our experience is in the moment. Mm-hmm. And to play around with, uh, suppose suppose you feel like there's something wrong, and. Uh, you don't you don't know what it is exactly. Suppose then you choose to do some or one or two or three or four of these things that help us to move towards well-being uh, before you worry about it and see if it's still there. Right, and what if it is? What if it is still there? Well, then you may also have more clarity about what it is that you would like to have different. Mm. Right, because so often we're just reacting from a place of, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, I want to feel better. Mm -hmm. and, and the illusion in those moments with a partner especially is that the way to feel better is for you to change, the, the other person to change. Yeah, uh, be different for me, darling. Right, exactly. Um, do you have any suggestions for a practice that might be a good invitation for two people to do together, maybe even in a moment of tension between them? But maybe even before a moment of tension, it could be they they practice it, with, you know, when it's when there's less at stake or something like that. Well, before they decide that that they're going to feel bad because they don't like what's happening, that would be nice. The there are horse lips is perfect. Uh, and I, I guess probably most people have long gone past practicing horse lips. <laughs> horse lips. But horse lips. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it that way, or you can do it with uh, more relaxed lips. So it's like. Um, <laughs> it won't do it for me at the moment. I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is a way if if your lips are really really relaxed, 
that they they vibrate and flap instead of making the the, the buzzy sound, and that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, kind of like this. Yep, like that's horse lips. Horse lips because horses do that. God bless them. When they are excited or interested or just playful, they will do that. Yeah, and and I'm noticing right now that it well it feel okay, so it feels silly to have done that. And here we are, we're in an interview and you know, thousands of people are listening to us. And Oh my god. I know, exactly. I didn't do it. <laughs> and Right. And it feel but it feels like silly and good. Well, it is the beginning of a willingness to move towards well-being, uh, even if we were taught not to be silly. Right. That is so funny. Just hearing you say that, it, it makes me think of those moments when, when we are uh, abdicating our choice to feel good. And in particular, those like tense moments with could be with our partner, could be sitting in traffic, whatever it is. But those moments when we choose to stew or choose to be angry or choose to be fearful. And, and I can, you know, I'm saying this right now and I can, I can even hear myself in a different frame of mind being like, this isn't, I'm not choosing this. It's like, it's overtaking me. But yet if in that moment, if someone said, oh, well, just like do horse lips, you know, a favorite mm-hmm. one of of um, my wife Chloe and and I is to speak in gibberish. But it's mm-hmm. like it can take a serious amount of effort to actually make yourself do that in a tense and triggered moment, because there's so much that wants to resist. Well, I tell you what, um, it is it is really something worth trying to say I am feeling like I want to be pissed off about something and I'm going to try feeling good first then I can then I can be as pissed off as I want to be if I still want to be because if I'm allowing myself to feel well and happy first, then the whole organismic context, the the attitude that is held in the cells and all of the uh, all of the ways that we are put together as a body, when when we are feeling good as a body, then it's unlikely that we will want to feel pissed off. We may have an objection still, but we don't have to go into a contracted state of being. Mm. I mean, we can. I mean, we always have that choice. It's just that uh, we don't. It's it's not it's not necessary that we go in that direction. Right, and even then, 
you're you get to bring the element of choice to how you handle your objection versus just absolutely losing choice because yeah. you're in a contracted state. Yep. So I can already imagine the next, you know, little bit of conflict that comes up between me and Chloe. I'm going to be like, just excuse me for a moment and go into the next room and do some horse lips and laugh and hum and then come back and be like, all right, let's have this. Let's try this again. Let's have this conversation again. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the difference between well-being feeling mm -hmm. good feeling good in that way and pleasure and because i think at least in part the desire for pleasure and mutual pleasure is is another aspect of what brings two bodies together uh yep often enough unless they've already been taught not to do that then they have to practice uh, letting themselves enjoy being for its own sake rather than uh, some some screwy version of getting things right. Yeah, so maybe where would we start with like like, where's our introduction to pleasure? Well, we're born uh, moving, moving into pleasure by being when we're babies. And then we can do that. Some parents are very encouraging of that, and then it, it stays that way. And then we get to <laughs> then we get to learn that we don't always like everything that's happening, and we get to practice not liking it. Mm. And that's that's uh, one of the things that kids are very good at, and then parents don't understand why they are choosing to scream and holler. Yeah, so if if I'm someone who, like, I don't think this is me, honestly, but at the same time, I do think it's really important for us as adults to kind of relearn pleasure so that it's free from the the cultural constructs, the ways that we've been taught are the ways we should and shouldn't experience pleasure. Um, uh -huh. and to, and to actually experience it from the inside out. Um, so we're not uh -huh. like trying to reenact something that we think will give us pleasure, but if this is making sense. So I'm wondering, is there a, is there an exercise for you that comes to mind that's about kind of reawakening this experience, like a very kind of raw experience of pleasure in our, in our experience in our bodies well first be a body if you isolate yourself in your head for example which many people in in the west are are brought up to do if you let yourself well i'm trying to think 
the easiest thing really is to notice something that you like and let yourself rest in that and feel the bodily sensations of that. And as you do that, you will be feeling pleasure. Yeah, it's almost like you're saying experience what it's like to like something. Mm -hmm. Let yourself experience what it's like. Let yourself experience that there is something that you like. Some people feel like that's, uh, well, some people would say, well, that's just a thing, that's just a kid thing. Or, uh, I have to have have something that I like to like. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, if, if, if we give ourselves, for example, if, if you will, uh, plant some flowers, or if you will, uh, plant a tree, I mean, here where I live, uh, I have, I have, uh, a house that I, that I thoroughly enjoy having, living in, and six and a third acres of forest. I can't, it would be very difficult for me to feel bad. Hmm. I'd have to really work at it. Yeah, so there's something... And I have cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's something to knowing knowing yourself that well to know what you what you like and what you don't. Yeah. And to practice noticing what we like rather rather more thoroughly than what we don't like. It is important to notice what you don't like. But it's better to notice more often what you do like so that you don't get stuck in not liking. Yeah, and that makes me think of your your concept of appropriate touch which is something I'm, yeah. I'm I'm really curious to hear more about from you. This mm-hmm. because it seems like you know when I think about the kind of the the sexual paradigm that we're all born into, the the ways that we learn to experience pleasure with each other. And actually I don't want to say born into, it's more like this is what our culture has created and we're seeing a lot of this manifest right now in in the Me Too movement and and um, recognition that a lot of people are feeling violated um, in the in the name of at least one person's pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. Others are feeling super violated and disrespected, and so I'm curious f- to where this brings a couple so that they can experience each other and awaken awaken pleasure and awaken touch with each other in a way that is appropriate. That's the word that comes to mind for me. And so can mm-hmm. you can you talk a little bit about what that means for you, appropriate touch and and how that enters the picture? Uh okay. Well if I were to talk about it just 
as me rather than me in relationship to somebody. Okay. I would say, uh, it's interesting. I, w- I would first ask my body, ask myself as a body, if there was some touching that it, that it would like, that I would like. And, and whether that would, would be, for example, to go outside and lean up against one of the trees or whether it would be, uh, asking one of the cats to sit in my lap and purr or it, because there's, at the moment there's nobody else living in this house except me. It's just me. Only me. <laughs> um, one of the things, one of the things that's very, very helpful, if if there are two people that are uh, either confused about how to approach touching each other, or uh, just wanting to be very tender and slow with something, if if you sit back to back. So that uh, you can feel your heart from behind, and you can feel your heart touching the presence of your pre- your uh, partner's heart. That's a that's a very very helpful thing to do. It's very respectful, and it's very tender. So uh, okay, I'm going to ask. Maybe a a sort of Mm -hmm. crass question that crass crass on sweetheart. Okay, how do you get from back to back to front to front? Well, not all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Take take your time and sit side to side. Sit side to side. on the ground, so that the, that your thighs are are contacting each other, and hold hands. I would say that I would like. I I think that would be a lovely thing to do. Um, you can also do that lying down, which is nice. If you do that lying down, and then reach across and hold each other's hearts. So if I'm if I am lying down with my friend uh, Tony, and we're side by side, the whole side of the body touching each other, and I reach across and put my hand on his heart, and he put, reaches across and puts his hand on my heart. That's a, a very full embrace, really. And it's easy to maintain for a short time or a longer time without uh, trying to make it sexy. It can easily become sexual uh, if, if both people are wanting to do that. And if they feel safe to do that, but they don't have to do that. And what are the 
the energetics that are going on when this is happening? What are the energetics that are happening, you know, within a body and then between bodies? Mm-hmm. You mean what is, how is the body expressing its experience of what's happening? Sure, and I think this also goes in a little bit to your ideas about what what is happening energetically, you know, on those more subtle levels as as bodies interact with bodies, and hopefully uh-huh. present bodies interacting with present bodies. Well, if the body is not being present. There will be very little, if any, contact, actually. Uh, if you if you mean if you mean uh, by energies, if you mean the the sensations that arise in and around the body when it is not what when it's not um, staying inside its skin. If it lets itself move beyond its skin, then what you what you would be experiencing would be it's some of its energy. Otherwise, the energy is felt as movement and sensation when the when it's inside the body. So if if I wanted to taste the the energy the beyond the body experience Mm -hmm. what yep yeah how does how does one approach that first it would be a question of recognizing learning to recognize what uh those the sensations of the energy of being that body and uh, check it out from from one place to another. You know, like uh, what is the what does it feel like to be your uh, your liver, for example? Bring your attention out of your head into your liver and feel what the sensations of being a liver are, and just go around the whole body and. Try that. Try them out, and then, uh, if you, if you if you have the the background, you can uh, follow the there the the circuitry the circuitry of that body, which. Uh, Lots of people have have been to classes to learn how to do that, and not it's not all well, not always the case that that the teaching includes noticing that those those um, branches of uh, energy movement stop. They do not stop at the at the skin. So you can you can follow the. The uh, I'm trying to think of that. There are many, many of these these uh, 
ways of that that especially the Chinese are very good about teaching people to perceive uh, the movement of these channels. And you can follow them uh, from each of the the chakras. And each one, each chakra has more or less numbers of of, uh, first a location within the body and then these channels that go out from the from each of the the bodies each of the the chakras yeah each of the chakras yeah um and you follow them they will come to the edge of the body and you just don't you don't automatically stop there you let that channel and the movement of energy through that channel extend beyond the skin. And the more you have practice doing that, the the more um, access you have to feeling your awareness and presence beyond the body. And then not only your own, but others. Why would someone want to do this? <laughs> well... Some people would like to do it because it's fun. Right, fun and cool and yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And and an, it's an exploration for many people. They 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 discover that they can do that and then they say, "Well, I wonder what what goes what goes with that. If I do that, what will I discover?" There are many, 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 many things that people uh, discover about being a body that are beyond the body. So that brings me to two questions. Mm -hmm. Earlier you mentioned something depending on our background, and it's funny to me in some ways that I feel like we've done this interview backwards because typically we would have started here, but I would love for you to give our listeners just a sense of your background. Like where does all this work come from um, for you? Ah, depends on which aspect of it we would like to look at. First, uh, I guess the the earliest would be that uh, both of my parents were actors, and they were, at least until I was 12, they were frequently preparing for roles. And so I had a lot of of, uh, support in... um, feeling things and feeling uh, yeah, just relaxed about doing doing things that are a little odd. Um, and that was enhanced when I went to Cal to, to the university um, because 
although I started out studying chemistry, I rapidly discovered that I what I really wanted to do was to learn to act. So I did that. And after I graduated from the university, um, oh, I, I spent a lot of time uh, studying the work of, of Jung. And I learned a lot from that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. When I, around about the same time, I, um, I met my first Tibetan teacher. And from, from that time uh, until mm, just the last few years, I, they, that was the main influence on me, was my Tibetans. And most recently, uh, one of them, well, about a year ago, my closest teacher uh, died. And so I have, I have spent time being aware of him uh, completely without restriction on his presence. So he's been very, very vast, I would say, very vast. And his son, who is still being a buddy, um, since I don't, I don't have any children, and I, I was trying to think, I want, I want to try and find a way of preserving this house and land uh, for people to, to uh, practice in and support themselves with. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I was going to ask my main teacher's son if he would like to have it as uh, a place to come in in California when he was not when he was moving around a lot. And he, uh, oh well, here's here's a nice thing. I was I didn't I did not and have not for some time had his telephone number. So I was saying to myself, well, let's see, who, uh, Cornelia doesn't have his telephone number, but, oh, Philip has his telephone number. I will ask Cornelia if I can have Philip's telephone number so that I can call Philip and ask him if he would give me access to, to Drukchan's telephone number. Uh, just long enough for me to ask him this question, and then I would, you know, erase it from my mind. And so as I was for- formulating that plan in my mind, uh, this this Tibetan uh, placed himself in my in my mind, and it was it's, it's a very it's a very um, straightforward, that actually feels like a physical happening. So, I, I told him, you know, I was, I was trying to get your phone number to ask you if you'd like to have access to this place as a, as a refuge when I have died. And he said, no. 
very very straightforwardly, no, because I want what you do to have its own lineage. I don't want it to be attached to me. I want it to be what you do and for people to learn from what you do and not think it's about me. So I said, okay, and that's the plan. I still don't know what I'm going to do with my property. But probably I will live another 10 years, and then maybe I will know. Perhaps that Does will... Does make any sense? Yeah, and perhaps <laughs> the answer of what you will do, perhaps that will come to you similarly. Oh, yeah. Uh, just... Uh, I just... I. I just know that it's not going to be from him. Right. It and might be uh, his son, I mean his, his father, uh, who, as I say, is, is being great space, I would say. He's being great space. So maybe it might come out of great space. That, that's quite possible. Hmm. And there's something about the, the Tibetan lineage... Um, or your your teachers that you mention in your books that their method of instruction is very experiential. Um, With me, certainly it is. Mm -hmm. uh, there are in the Tibetan culture there are at least uh, several at least several ways of approaching what they teach that are. Uh, different parts of, of, you know, adjunct lineages. And, uh, this one that, that, the ones that they, they hooked me with, my ones, uh, is, uh, very, it's, it's not about, it's not about, uh, something in a book. It's about, the direct experience of how they are and being influenced by how they are. So, the, and... They I, don't teach everybody that way. I see, I see. Um, from my perspective, it feels really important given all the things that we've talked about over this past hour... Um, because so many of them sound so simple as a concept and yet mm -hmm. you don't really get it. You don't really get to experience it until you experience it, until you try and yep. see what it actually does for you, mm -hmm. with you. Yep. So that, that is very true. And the name of your work you've called Zapchen, and we haven't talked mm -hmm. about that at, at all this entire time. What, is, what does Zapchen mean? Where do, why that word? Well, it's, uh, it is a Tibetan word, and it has a number of, a number of meanings. Um, it is often a, a word that is um, that is associated with children in Tibetan. So uh, sometimes it, may, it means that they're being uh, playful. 
sometimes it means that they're being naughty. And when it applies to to grown-ups, let's see. Well, one time I asked one of my one of my uh, secondary Tibetan teachers uh, what what sub ten. Uh, what does it mean? In, really, what does it mean in Tibetan? And he he looked a little startled because actually it turns out it's it's a naughty word. <laughs> you wouldn't just you wouldn't just go out and and say because uh, most Tibetans would not would not uh, use that word, especially proper women. Uh, one one time, I was having uh, well, my teacher and his wife and his son were in uh, San Francisco and uh, spending some time. And they were going to be teaching in San Francisco and in and in Berkeley. So that that was very nice. And we were having lunch, and they were they were speaking Tibetan. I don't know quite all, but really about Tibetan. It's a very difficult language. But uh, in the middle of of the conversation, uh, Drukchen, the son, uh, was talking to his mama, and used the words of Chen, and she giggled, and. He smiled naughtily himself, and that was the closest I came uh, until I had the, the opportunity to talk to this this uh, Tibetan monk when I was in in uh, Nepal, and I asked, I said, I, you know, if it's if it would be okay. Would you tell me what Sapchan means? And he smiled and looked a little sheepish. And then he said, um, Well, if I were a married man and I had to go on a trip away so that my wife was at home, and she went to the to the um, uh, what to the to the I don't even know I, my brain is draining the, to the to the uh, place where you buy beer uh, and and spent time with another man. That would be Zopchen. So that's that's the only understanding. You know, I mean, it's it's a complicated word. So then I gotta ask, mm-hmm. why did ask, you? Ask. Yes, why did you choose it for for your work? Um. Well, be. Long before the story that I just told you, when I was still living in Australia, 
I spent time uh, teaching out in the country, and there were some some Tibetan uh, monks, but also a very high a high lama who were there, and they found out that the name of what I was doing there was uh, Zapchen, and they laughed about it, and I said, well, uh, what is it about it that's, that's funny? And I still don't know quite the answer to that question, but they, it was clear that it was a naughty word. I'm trying to think, the very, very, very first time that I decided to use it, I really don't know why. I mean, of course it had to do with my Tibetan teachers, but why did I choose that? No, I don't know. I guess I just liked it. It's another part of the mystery, I guess. I guess. (laughs) Well, Julie, I so appreciate your, your time and your wisdom and your offerings today. And, um, your work, as I mentioned, is so fascinating and I think so deceptively simple, um, at least in terms of what we've talked about. I know it gets deeper and more complex and you've been doing what you do for decades. And so it would be ludicrous to think that we could distill all of that into an hour long conversation. But I so appreciate that you've been willing to show up here and and give us a starting point for for Zapchen in, in your practices. Um, what is the best way for people to find out more about your work if they're interested in finding out more? Well, um, they can call me. <laughs> uh, Depends really on on uh, what what they want to know. They can read the books. The books are are pretty good. Yeah, the books are great. Um, they can find people like at your way. There's a woman in in Vermont who teaches. Not not just what she has learned from me, but from part of that she has she teaches. Um, there are people in Chicago. There are people in uh, Arizona. And lots of people in in Germany and Austria and Australia. So, I don't know if I'm, I don't know actually what you're, what is inherent in your question? You mean sure. if they would like to learn more, or yeah, yeah, and and I think what we can do is we can have uh, some links on uh, in the transcript for this conversation. We can make sure that we have links um, to your website, and um, and I think that's probably a good starting point for a lot of people. 
Um, and then um, I know that if there you, are people in in Germany who would like to be able to get a copy of the the script. Yes, we will ensure that that happens. And uh, and for those of you who are listening right now, you can download a copy if you visit neilsatin.com slash Julie, J-U-L-I-E, or you can mm-hmm. always text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And that way you can download the transcript to this episode. Um, and and uh, Julie, I'm wondering if since probably we have a mix of people who are listening to this, we have people who are just being introduced to you and and I know that your students are going to be excited to hear your voice. And I'm wondering if there's just anything that comes up for you as sort of a, a final encouragement or offering for everyone who's listening and um, has been tuning in. Has been tuning in. Um. I would say it's a very good grounding. It's a very good starting place. Uh, And the people who have worked with me, uh, let's say 10 years or more, become very good teachers. And frequently tell me how much they appreciate what they've learned from me and that they can share it with other people in a way that's accessible and helpful, which is nice to hear. That's great, yeah. And and I was speaking earlier with one of your longtime colleagues and students, uh, Laura, Laura. Laura and Laura Lund, and... Um, she mentioned that there are at least probably 500 practitioners worldwide of Zapchen. And then if you include the people that they've taught, probably thousands of people who have been impacted by your work. That would be nice. That would be nice. Well, I so appreciate your time again today. And thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, Maybe we can have you back on one of these days to talk about some more of the finer points, but this definitely feels like an excellent starting place for us in embodying well-being. Right. I think so. I think it is. And if people are interested enough to to try it out, I think they would probably then uh, discover that they have questions that they'd like to pursue. And... uh, the books are good for that, or if they become very interested, they could they could be in touch with me. Great, thank you. We will ensure that they have um, your information through your website uh, in the in the show guide. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your yeah. And now I want to take you out with the full song that was created by uh, an artist on Songfinch named The Boy Jones. Uh, He wrote this song, Dance Across the Room, uh, for me and Chloe on our anniversary. So uh, take it away, Boy Jones. (laughs) 
just wanna watch you dance across the room. I just wanna hold your hand through the thick of it. I just wanna watch you dance across the room. I just wanna hold your hand through the thick of it. I never take you for granted, and if I do, honey, let me have it. I know it ain't how we planned it, but all of you is all I want. I got to have it, and then I watch you with the kids, and I remember what it is. I just wanna watch you dance around the room. I just wanna hold your hand through the thick of it. I just wanna watch you dance across the room. Maybe watch you grow a little bit. All the signs along the way, like the shooting stars and eagle feathers. All those nights I couldn't wait for you to man the jukebox. Baby, Cause I just wanna watch you dance across the room, and I just wanna hold your hand through the thick of you. And all I wanna do is.